0: Welcome to our study of the Gospel of John.
1: I have fallen in love with the work of Paul as I've studied the book of 1 Corinthians, and I believe you will too. This is where Jesus taught in Capernaum, and you have to understand this. Lord is my shepherd. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look deeply into the 23rd Psalm. Right Now Media.
0: It's for groups. It's for personal devotion. It's for parents. The bullseye of parenting is to raise
1: like Jesus. It's for kids. This is Phil. We're digging into the Bible, which, as we've mentioned, is more than just a book. It's for tough times. So when you recognize that you're trying to have a conversation with your spouse and they're not ready to talk, it's not helpful to keep pressing them.
0: It's for everything.
1: If you've made mistakes with money, you know what that makes you? Over 12. (laughs) And now, it's yours. We've purchased a Right Now Media subscription for everyone in our church. So check your inbox for the digital invitation and download the app for instant access to thousands of biblically-based videos. Get equipped, get inspired. Well, welcome. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you've chosen to start your week off with us here at Quad City Christian Church. We want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. And also want to welcome all of those out in Prescott Valley today. So grateful to have you. Uh, just to add on to that little video that you saw, we have purchased a, a subscription to Right Now Media. If you don't know what that is, think of it like a... Netflix for Christian content. So, all great teaching that you can use in your discipleship group, you can use it in your family, you can use it with uh, your kids, you can use it for your marriage. Uh, there's all sorts of ways to put this into practice. So, today, if you are a part of Quad City and we have your email address, we will to set up your account. So, make sure that you do that. If you are not on our email list. Make sure that you give that to us before you leave today and we'll get that for you. Uh, so we want you to use it. So there's lots of great content that we've made available and hopefully it's going to help you grow in your love of. Well, today we are jumping back into our series in the book of Romans. And so as we have throughout, we've made the the pledge to read the entire letter of the Rome, to the Romans uh, here from our platform over the course of this series. And we've made it all the way to chapter 12. Hey, so we're gonna read our text and it's in chapter 12, starting in verse nine. So if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word of God today. Again, we'll be in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses nine through 21. And this is the word of the Lord must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the lord full in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer share with the lord's people who are in need Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who mourn. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, "Mine to avenge I will repay," says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we are grateful for your word, that you've saved it for us, that it impacts our lives today. So through your Holy Spirit, Do your transforming work in us. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. As we've said throughout this series, those of you who may be newcomers with us, all of the book of Romans builds on each other. And sometimes it's easy to forget that when we see chapter headings and section headings. And we talked about a couple of verses last week, and we'll talk about a few more this week. It's easy to make a little bit of a disconnect. Why am I telling you this? Because today, this section that we're looking at has about 30 imperatives in it. An imperative meaning a command, something that you are commanded to do or not to do. And they're just listed one after one. Those of you who, who are maybe like me, who have a bit of a sensitive spirit and we read these and we're like, oh no, like I'm not doing that one. All of these are gonna feel like a bag of cement sitting on your soul today. Like they are just listed one after another. Like if you're an Enneagram one perfectionist, like inner dialogue is gonna tell you again how awful you are because you're not doing these, okay? And you're gonna feel the weight of each of these and it's gonna feel burdensome and impossible. You're gonna feel bad. As you should, you no good sinners. Like, <laughs> do better. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, we have these imperatives, but we got to keep them in context, okay? So I want to back up just a touch. Do you remember how chapter 12 started? In view of God's mercy. Like, everything That he's telling us, he's saying, make sure you keep everything I'm about to say in view of God's mercy, in view of the gospel of Jesus, that you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it's not by works, like all of the good news from chapters 1 through 11, he says, what I'm, all of these things you are to do and not to do, you gotta, you gotta look at these commands in view of God's mercy, keep this in context, okay, We do not do these things that he's commanding us here to earn God's favor because we've already been given God's favor through Jesus. Like these actions that he is commanding of us are not given to us to begin a relationship with God. They do not result in a relationship with God. We do these commands out of the gift of a relationship with God that's already been given to us. Take a deep breath, okay? And tell that overly critical voice in your head to put a sock in it, Does it mean that we don't feel conviction and we don't feel a desire to grow in our obedience and sacrifice to Jesus, but we will not tolerate condemnation because Romans 8, 1 comes before chapter 12. If you don't know that one, go look it up. We got a lot of ground to cover today, so let's dive in. So we're just going to take each of these imperative one by one. We're just going to buzz through them, and I'm going to share the imperative. I'm going to give us a few comments, and then I'm going to give you a a question, an application question for each of them to help us to think about how this imperative needs to get applied to our life. So we got a lot of ground. We're going to buzz through it here this morning. Ready? love must be sincere how many of you all have ever shown fake love to somebody raise them up you can't lie in church I guarantee you've shown fake love every time you went to a family reunion it happened (laughs) and most of the life groups you've been a part in there you had to fake love for that's just true at one time or another, we've all feigned love for other people, okay? And we do it often because we want to get something out of people. We want them to think we're better than we are. We want to try to sell them something. It's easy for us to pretend to love God for people. And what this imperative is commanding us is that we can't Pretend to love anyone. We have to love God and love people without any false motives or hidden agendas. We love with sincerity. We love without. Sincerity. And here's what we know from all over Scripture to love sincerely always means that the feeling of love comes with an action of love. You, it always causes an action. Sincere love makes us act on behalf of. Of the people that we love. And I think one of the most ways to see hypocritical love in people is to see someone who says they love someone with no action that backs it up. And you'll note that this is the first command on the list. Jesus said it is the greatest of all commandments. love God and you love people. And everything else that we're going to look at flows from this. We have to love with a sincere love. So simple question: where are you faking love for God or love for other people? Which number one. Let's keep going. Hate, what is evil? The first one the first command is to love, the second command is to hate. And it's, it, 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 on face value, it's like, well, those th- two things don't go together. Oh, actually they do. Actually, you can't have one without the other. You have to have one to have the other, okay? While it may seem weird realize what we hate is often the greatest revealer of what we love. I mean, think about it this way. If I truly love someone or something, it necessitates that I would hate that which would bring harm to the one that I love. If I love a holy God, then I by necessity, would hate all that condemns or rebels against the God that I love. If I love people, then I would hate addiction and and sin and habits and people that would those that I love. You cannot truly love one thing without hating something else. It's impossible. In fact, Psalm 97 puts it this way. Let those who love the Lord... Hate evil. Like, if you love God, hate evil. That's how it works. If you don't hate evil, it's because you don't love God. Hating one is loving the other. But here's the problem for me oftentimes I don't hate evil. Sometimes I kind of like the thing. Oftentimes I'm drawn to. We're tempted by things that God calls evil. I actually want to indulge in it, but, but here's, here's what I've learned in my 30 years of trying to follow Jesus. The more that I love God, the more that I will hate evil that I can know for sure. And notice here, the command is not just to avoid evil. It's not just to avoid it. It's not just to refrain from evil. It says you need to hate evil. This goes beyond just your actions. It actually speaks to your affections. Just not to do evil. We are to hate evil. Which is why the best way for us to grow in our hatred of evil is to be really intentional about growing in our love for God. So here's the question for today. What evil have you grown accustomed to, maybe even grown an affection for? Let's keep going. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. Um, again, it doesn't just say approve of what is good or believe in what is good. It says cling to it. Think about a mountain climber off of the side of a rock face. You got to cling. You got to hang on. You got to not let go. And here's the thing about clinging. You only have to cling, thing, cling to things that easily slip away. You only have to cling to things that want to run away. That's why you put out, right? You got to pull them back because they're trying to get away. Clinging requires work. It It requires intentionality. Now, Before we move on, I want you to think about these commands around good and evil. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. When we read these commands, we are forced to recognize that there is a standard of good and evil that exists outside of us. Just because you think something is good doesn't make it good. And just because you think something is evil does not make it evil. Just because with something doesn't mean it's good. And just because your conscience is clear on something doesn't mean it's not evil, okay? We don't get to determine what is good and what is evil. God determines that. And sinful, corrupted by the curse to fully understand what is good and what is evil, which is why? Why? Again, it goes back to last week. We don't get to determine it. So how do we know what's good? How do we determine what's evil? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's formed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then when your mind is renewed, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like you want to know what's good? You want to know what's evil? You can't figure it out on your own. You're all of us have been conformed to think like the world. We have to be transformed the word. And so this is how we determine what's good and what is evil. So here's a question. What good have you let go of? What good have you thrown away instead of clinging to? What was something you once held on to as a great conviction of your faith, but you've allowed it to slide? Here we go. Be devoted to one another. In love, Again, let's make sure that we get the context for who he's talking to here. He's not talking to husbands and wives, although they should do this. He's not talking about parents and children, although they should do this. He's not talking about siblings. He's not talking about your or even soldiers in a bunker, although they should all be doing this. Who's he talking to? The church. This is a letter written to the church in Rome. He's talking to the church. He's saying that you, me, we need to be devoted to one. We're devoted to each other. He said, this isn't about you'd be devoted to the person you're sitting beside this morning. He's talking about the person in front of you and behind you today. Are you devoted to the person who's sitting behind you today? Are you devoted to the person sitting in front of you today? What does it mean to be? Well, devoted simply means you're loyal to them. It means you don't. Walk away when things get uncomfortable. It means you show up when things get hard. It means you want what's best for them. It means that they can count on you. And this is one of the saddest realities of the American church culture. Not devoted to one another. We're just not. We, we are in with each other for as long as it benefits us, but at any point I experience something that I don't like or I might disagree with, then I'll bounce. And Paul is saying, Jesus didn't die for that kind of church. In Christ, we are to be devoted to one another. And so here's my question. Does your devotion to the church mirror Christ's devotion to the church? Like, are you in for one another in the same way that Jesus Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. I love the way the ESV puts it. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like the only competition between the body of Christ ought to be who gets to put who first. No, no, no. I want to, let me show you on. No, you got to last time. Like that should be, that should be the greatest fight we have is outdoing one another in showing honor in the body of Christ. So here's the question, do you shine the spotlight on others more than you try to shine it on yourself? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And here's the reality of everybody who walks with Jesus, if you follow followed Jesus for, let's say, more than three months, there there will be a season where your your enthusiasm for following Wane. It'll fizzle. My guess is all of us could look back to a season of our life where we felt like we were more excited to follow Jesus than we are. Like we were more on fire than we are. And when that happens, it affects how we pray and it affects how we read the Bible. It affects how much we and how much we serve our church. It affects our generosity and it affects our priorities. And many of us, we've just lost the zeal. We've lost the zeal for serving the Lord. We've become apathetic. We've become robotic. We've become indifferent. And it's nobody's fault but our own. Again, this command, the imperative is to you. You never be lacking in zeal. You keep up your spiritual further. You keep serving the Lord. Like the onus is on us to make this happen. So here's our question. On a scale between one and 10, with one being the lowest, 10 being the greatest, how would you rate your zeal for serving the Lord today? And then what would you do to grow it? Let's keep going. Be joyful in hope. How many of you are naturally joyful people like me? (laughs) Those who are laughing, no, I'm not a natural. It's just not. Some of you are naturally joyful. It just comes out. But here's what I want to remind us of today. Joy isn't a personality trait. It is a fruit of the spirit. Don't miss that. Joy is not a personality trait. It is a fruit of the Spirit, which means that if you have Christ, joy should be coming out of you. Now, that may not—that mean, I'm sorry, it may not look like you are that super extroverted party person that really annoys everyone. It cannot look like the constantly grumpy person who complains about everything from gas prices to politics to potholes. It can't look like that. And the way that you grow in your joy, to clench your teeth and smile through the pain, I'm going to be joyful, you're going to white-knuckle joy, it's not going to work. The way that we grow in our joy is to make sure that our hope is in the right place because if your hope is in the government to fix it, if your hope is in a politician if your hope is in your bank account your joy will always take a dive where your hope is will determine where your joy comes from so we are to put our hope in Jesus and if have our hope in Jesus, we will be overflowing with joy because he never disappoints. So where have you placed your hope? And does it reflect by your joy? Be patient in affliction. Now this one's interesting to me. Here's what I know about all of us. Nobody affliction, like nobody got up today and say, really hope today's hard. And And all of us, as soon as affliction comes, as soon as suffering or pain comes into our life, we want to get out of it as soon as possible. Yet, no, 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 don't don't do that. Don't try to get out. Be patient in that affliction. Slow down. Don't be in a hurry in the midst of your affliction. Be, Be patient in your affliction. Why would we want to be patient in affliction? Because what we've talked about over and over again is it is through that we grow in our perseverance. And if you've been around for very long, you've heard me say over and over again, a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. How do you know your faith is actually real? You don't know until there's suffering that comes your faith. It's easy to say, I believe in Jesus when everything goes great. Your faith becomes real when it's tested. And testing only happens in affliction. And affliction creates perseverance. So Paul says, so be patient in the midst of your... And let God do his work. So here's our question. How has God used affliction to grow your faith? So I flipped this question a little bit because I want you to think about times in your life where you have experienced affliction. And what did God do in the midst of that affliction? How did he grow your faith? Because here's what I know. If you can begin to use affliction to grow your faith in the past, it'll make it a lot easier to be patient in affliction when it comes again. Be faithful in prayer. I don't even feel like I need to say anything. Just obey. Just keep going. Just keep praying. Just be faithful. What does faithfulness Life today? How would you know if you're doing it? Are you being faithful? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Paul makes this command very specific. He doesn't just say share with people, he said share with the Lord's who are in need. There is this biblical expectation that we put the people of God first when we're supplying people's needs. In fact, Galatians 6, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Like we ought to do good to all people whenever we have the chance, but especially among the people of God, especially among the family of God it is right and good for us to help all people but before we leverage our resources to help those who are out the family, we need to make sure that everybody inside of the family is taken care of so here's the question how am i sharing what i have with those in the family who are in need that's the command let's keep going practice hospitality now hospitality in ancient culture travel was dangerous in most instances there was not a motel 6 that was keeping the light on for you so you were expected in the ancient world to open up your home and care for people who were traveling go to the walmarts and pick up groceries when they got to town They needed somebody who'd be willing to share food with them. They couldn't call ahead and reserve an Airbnb. You just showed up when you got there, right? So hospitality in the ancient world was often a matter of life and death. And so thinking about this, what does this look like for us? How do we obey that kind of command? I think it means more than just having people over to your house for dinner when they've got a fridge full of food at home okay it's got to mean more than that i mean that's fine to do that but i don't think that's what he's talking about here here's what i've been wrestling with over the last few weeks here's what's been bombarding my soul is the thought that many of us in this room in prescott valley Many of us have fully furnished guest rooms in our house that stay empty 350 nights a year. Fully furnished guest rooms that are empty 300 and a year and some of you have multiple of them. And many of us have bathrooms in our homes fully functioning indoor bathrooms that don't get used but once or twice a week some once or twice a week, you never go downstairs think about that why is it that god has given you that space do you really think that god gave you that just so you could have your grandkids come over three weekends out of the year leverage that to fulfill this command I keep coming back to this I shared it last week to this foster and adoption issue some of you have more than enough room to step into that world and many of you are retired that you could make the time and I know you say I hear it all the time oh I'm busier now than I've ever been yeah because you want to be you're the only one putting stuff on your calendar. You're choosing what makes you busy. You're choosing it. And, and and many, at a season of your life where you would actually be a better parent now than you were raising your kids. Because you're way more patient and you know what it means to follow Jesus more than you've ever done. And we have 13,000 kids in foster care. We have 3,000 kids be adopted. And in this church body alone, I would bet my paycheck we have 500 bedrooms and 200 bathrooms that won't even get used tonight. And I think Paul would look at us and he'd say, practice hot. Because it's a life and death situation for those kids. So here's the question. How is God calling you to put this command into practice? Because he is. This isn't a question. It's a command. So how are you command? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let me begin by saying, if you live in the Quad City area of Arizona, chances are nobody's persecuting you. They're just not. I mean, they may say mean things to you we started it. Let's just be honest. <laughs> there are places in the world that persecute people for following Jesus. We just don't live in one. In fact, your government, your government, actually incentivizes you to fund the kingdom of God. They will actually say, if you'll give money to the local church so that the kingdom of God gets advanced in your community, then you owe us less taxes. What kind of crazy persecution is that? But there may be a day where that could happen. And the question is, what are you going to do when that happens? Are you going to call bears out of the woods to eat people? There's a Bible story for that. You should read it. Are you going to call down fire on people? Or are you going to do like Jesus and look at your persecutors and them? Because they don't know what they're doing. Command is for us to bless. If we ever get persecuted, command is to bless them, not curse them. So here's the question. Who's someone in my life that I want to curse, but I need to bless? with those who rejoice. Sometimes it's hard to celebrate good things that happen to other people, especially when we feel like they ought to be happening to us. The scripture teaches us that all good things come down from the father of heavenly lights. So am I bitter and angry and jealous when something good happens? Because if I am, then what I'm really angry about is that the father who gives good gifts is giving somebody else something that I think belongs to me. When we rejoice, we're actually rejoicing in the goodness of God. So who is experiencing the goodness of God that I should be instead of being jealous of? Mourn with those who mourn. On the flip side, when people hurt, we ought to hurt with them. We see Jesus lived this out when he showed up to a funeral of one of his best friends. And he knew he was going to break up the funeral by raising him from the dead. But before he did that, he wept wet wept because his, the ones that he loved were hurting, and so he hurt with them. And in the moments of our greatest pain, in the moments of the pain of those around us, most people are not looking for somebody to come in and take the pain away. But it would be really nice if there was somebody to sit in the pain. And that's what he asked us to do. So who's hurting that needs someone to share their hurt? live in harmony with one another. Harmony does not mean identical. It doesn't mean we're the same. When somebody sings harmony, they, aren't, they are singing a different note, singing with, but their singing works together to bring about something even more beautiful. What we learned last week is we're not all the same in the body of Christ. We've all been given different gifts and we've been brought together to use those gifts to one another to bring about something great in the kingdom of God. And when we allow ourselves to live in discord with one another instead of harmony with one another, all of the energy that's supposed to go to advance the kingdom gets lost as we fight against each other. Here's the question. Where in my life am I creating discord rather than harmony? Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Imagine for a moment that we took all the people in the Quad City Church and and we put them on a graph from least important to most important. Okay? We take everybody and we put them on this graph of least important to most important. Now, all of us would want to assume, oh, I'm, I'm a little better than average. That's me how math works, okay? Not everybody can be above average. There are some people who are more important. There are some people who are less important. That's just reality. By whatever gauge we use, somebody's more important than the other. It's like a, just imagine we make this into like the high school lunchroom. Some people who are more important are some people who are less important. And all of us want to kind of see ourselves as a little on the further end. And we probably, if we're honest about ourselves, we would want to try to associate ourselves with those who are more important than us. And we'd want to spend very little time down here associating with the least of people. That's just true. Now, imagine for a moment, we put Jesus on the scale. Where would Jesus belong from the on the scale of least important to most important? Where would Jesus belong? Yeah. Important. He goes on the end. In fact, he is so far down the graph that all of us are stuck down here. He is so much of greater importance that it makes all of us seem And so what is the real difference between this guy and this guy on the level of importance? That's the point. When he says, be willing to associate with those of little importance or low importance. If Jesus is willing to associate himself with me, nobody on this graph that I should not be willing to associate with. So here's the question. Who in my life do I believe I'm better than, even if I don't act like it? There's some hard work to be done for most of us. Do not be conceited. Do not be conceited. We covered this one a little bit last week when we said we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Instead, we ought to be humble. And I've been thinking about humility a lot over the last several weeks. And I had a bit of an epiphany a few weeks ago. And here, Being humble is not a gift we receive. It is a command we obey. I want you to think about this for a second. Humility is not a gift we receive. It is a command we obey. All throughout the New Testament, we are commanded, be humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Humble yourselves. Being humble is not something God does. It is something we do. We are commanded to be humble. Being humble is not a fruit of the spirit. Go look at the list. It's not on there. Being humble is not a fruit of the spirit. It is the fruit of obedience. We are to be humble. So if you are waiting for God to make you feel humble, so that then you will, you will never be humble. Because you're saying, God, make me humble. And he's saying, do it yourself. I've commanded you to be humble. Humble. It's your responsibility. So do not be conceited. Be humble. Here's the question. Where is conceit creeping into your life? Now, I don't even have time to get through the next four verses. Those of you who want to hear about the next four verses, you'll have to jump in on the podcast. All right? So we'll talk about those. But I want to go back today to the beginning of this section where Paul, at the beginning of chapter 12, tells us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of these imperatives to move us from being like the world to being like Jesus. They are moving us from being conformed to the way that the world thinks to living in the way Jesus commands us. That's what all of these imperatives are about, about transforming our mind, telling us right and wrong, good and evil, the world and the word. So here's my challenge for you. We're going to make these questions available. We'll put them out on social media or email or push notification. We'll do something. We'll get these out to you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these questions and spend 10 minutes praying through these questions and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal in you where it is that you need to be transformed to the word and not conformed to the world. And then just take one or two of them and try to put it into practice this week. You can't do all 25, but you can do two. And let's live out what it means to be transformed in view of God's mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today. In your word, I pray that you would convict us in the areas we, meet, we need to be convicted, that we would live out the mercy that you've given us. Thank you for Jesus and the power of the Spirit that makes these imperatives possible in our life. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.